Happy Valentine's Recovery Day. Depending on how your day went, you might be looking for some advice on where it all went wrong or how to keep it going right. Maybe you're talking about it in your group chat or on TikTok. But if you were a single woman in 1958, you might have turned to McCall Magazine's list of 129 ways to get a husband. The advice ranged from practical to truly bizarre. There was advice on how to get a man at work, like don't take a job at a company largely ran by women. (laughs) There goes my prospects. Let it be known in your office that you have a button box and will sew on a bachelor's loose buttons. And become a nurse or an airline stewardess. They have very high marriage rates. There was advice on how to get a man on the street, like carry a camera and ask strange, handsome men if they wouldn't mind snapping your picture and accidentally have your purse fly open, scattering its contents all over the street. There was advice for women looking to nudge a bachelor over the broom, like point out to him that the death rate of single men is twice that of married men. And a lot of other cringy tidbits, like wear high heels most of the time, make friends with more attractive girls so you can get their leftovers, and this gym. If your mother is fat, tell him you take after your father. And if he's fat too, tell him you're adopted. Thankfully, a lot has changed since that advice column was written, including what we're looking for in partners and how we find them. More and more Americans, especially women, are delaying marriage or not getting married at all, opting to wait for that right partner than to settle down. And when people do decide to look for love, a lot of them turn to dating apps. Almost 50% of people between the ages of 18 and 29 have used dating apps. It's about 40% for people 30 to 49. And it makes sense that if we're finding partners online, we're also looking online for advice on how to get and keep said partners. Where in the 90s or early 2000s, if you were a relationship advice type, you might have picked up a book like Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, or Why Men Love Bitches. Books like that, of course, still exist. But you can also access thousands, if not millions, of dating coach influencers and experts at the tip of your fingers. But how reliable is the dating advice we get on TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram? Welcome to Pop Culture. I'm Bridget Armstrong. Today, we're going to take a tour through the trenches of online dating advice to help you navigate or at least understand dating according to influencers. Decades ago, we might have turned to an advice column for our dating and relationship tips. And columns like that still exist, like Savage Love or Dear Prudence. But increasingly, people are turning to the court of internet opinion for advice. We live our lives online, and for a lot of people, their romantic life is no exception. People turn to apps to find partners, and they go right back to apps to process all the messy, complicated things that come with that. Where 50 years ago, a woman who abruptly stopped hearing from a man she was dating might have turned to her favorite advice column for answers, People today head straight to TikTok. A few weeks ago, for a few brief hours, everyone on TikTok and Twitter was obsessed with a dude named Caleb. West Elm Caleb, as he came to be known. I feel like it's my duty as your Asian older sister to warn my New York City girls about this Caleb from West Elm. Caleb is allegedly a 25-year-old serial dater living in New York City who sounds like a couple of guys I know. After one woman posted a TikTok about getting ghosted by a guy named Caleb, other women responded asking if it was West Elm Caleb. He got the moniker because he designs furniture for West Elm. 
Then I get a girl DM me being like, oh my God, are you talking about the West Elm Caleb? And I'm like, who the hell is he? And can you please explain why there's so many girls commenting about him? So we first confirm that it is the same Caleb that DM'd me. And I'm like, oh my God, why is he everywhere? And she tells me that they've matched on Hinge before and that they were texting intensely for a while. They'd all met this guy, Caleb, who dated them for a week or a few weeks, who was very affectionate and then disappeared. And he is like love bombing her, even though they've never met up before, like have not gone on a first date. And I'm like, that is the biggest red flag out of all the red flags. Then, of course, he ghosts her. But the funniest part is this girl sends me a TikTok that another girl made gushing about her Hinge date. So six weeks ago, um, I met with this man on Hinge and it was really fun. It was cute because this is a man that I was like, oh, I actually like him. It turned out Caleb was also a serial ghoster. And that was about the worst of it. Although he did allegedly send an unsolicited nude picture to one of the women, which is gross and never okay. The TikToks had almost 100 million views. And some of the videos show his face, his dating profile, and other details about his life, which does raise privacy and safety concerns. But maybe this is a part of the changing dating landscape. People can actually give feedback on their dating experiences. And if you disappoint enough people, you might end up in a hashtag. If the way we process our dating lives has changed, so is who we turn to for advice. Well, at least where we find them. Increasingly, people look to TikTok to tell them how to cook, what to wear, and of course, how to date. There are millions of posts on TikTok from people who've dedicated at least 15 seconds to helping singles and lovers in need. And while that might sound overwhelming and maybe not that trustworthy, it does open up the world of dating advice to everyone, no matter who you are or what your dating circumstance is. Run-of-the-mill dating advice of old often focused on cisgendered, heterosexual, monogamous couples. Not on TikTok. Gay advice that I wish I knew when I was 19. Here are my top three unwritten rules for queer people who want to date better in 2022. If you're brand new to polyamory, number one, do not figure it out as you go. If you have a problem with your partner's other partner, nine times out of ten, the actual problem lies with the partner that you share. Ask them about their dysphoria triggers. Ask them about their boundaries when it comes to intimate time. Ask them what you can do to be a better ally. There are also a lot of TikToks made by men claiming to give women the keys to the dating game. Let's talk about the biggest mistakes girls make when they like a guy. Number one, they see bare minimum effort as good enough. If he is not pursuing you in any degree, and if his feelings are extremely unclear and very inconsistent, he is playing games. Here's some subtle signs that he likes you. Act like you're cold. Don't say it. See if he notices those small details, because if he does, he's paying close attention. TikToks for women from the wise women among us. Random advice for women of all ages in no particular order. Being sexually compatible with a mansion override everything else. Ladies, I want to give you some unsolicited dating advice. If you want to meet men in real life, go to where men are. All right, ladies, here are three things that you always need to pay attention to whenever you first start talking to a guy. Here we go. Number one, sexually charged conversation. Advice from men to men. Do you want to know the number one mistake men make with women? We speak to them in logic and information. That kills attraction. A lot of this sounds like the same advice they were giving out in McCall's and Harper's Bazaar 40 years ago. Here's how you can give her the best kiss that she's ever had. Grab her hair, pull a little bit, let your hands roam and involve your entire body and hers in the kiss and it'll make it a lot more dynamic. 
There's advice for snagging a rich man. Do you have a date with a wealthy man? Talk about cryptocurrency. Talk about the stock market. Please don't talk about astrology or politics. Wealthy guys love teaching people how to do things. So if you don't know like all the etiquette rules, they will show you how to do it. And a lot of advice that just boils down to break up with him. If they gaslight you, if they're emotionally unavailable, if they try to control you, then yeah, you should break up with them. Maybe you're not Gen Z, or maybe you just find TikTok to be overwhelming. There are plenty of places you can turn to on the internet for armchair expertise when it comes to dating and relationships. In fact, YouTubers and Instagrammers have been holding down the dating coach space for a while. Can this person make me happy? In order to understand if someone can make you happy, look not to how you feel about them. Look to how they make you feel. You know, my mom had the best piece of dating advice about how to tell if someone likes you or not. Yeah? Is it in his Venmo transaction history? No. How often he initiates texts? I made a chart. No, if they like you, you'll know. Uh, and if they don't, you'll be confused. One thing's for sure and two things for certain. If a man is not for you, at some point you're gonna have to let him go. Now, of course, it's best to do this before the red flags turn into a full-blown catastrophe. That last one you heard is from Derek Jackson, a self-proclaimed relationship guru with more than one million followers on Instagram. Jackson's image is kind of like player-turned-nice guy who gives men and women the secrets to a healthy relationship. There's only so long you can make a woman feel like she's alone in a relationship with you before she gets to the point where she'd rather just be alone. Which was all good, until he was called out publicly for cheating on his wife multiple times. And of course, he went to YouTube to issue one of the most uncomfortable apologies I've ever seen. He held his wife's hand for dear life the entire time. She wore a bonnet on her head and her face was saying, I'm completely over this. The truth is, and I'm saying it here now, is that Derek Jackson was involved with other women outside the marriage. And by involved, I want to be clear, I'm not talking about just casually kicking it, maybe a lunch or something like that. I'm talking about as serious as sex um, to sexual flirtation and, and meeting up and that kind of thing. I know that I cannot build a platform preaching certain things, preaching against certain things, and then in my real life live contrary to that. Jackson's preachy post about relationships slowed down dramatically after that incident. But not all dating advice on social media is targeted to single and single-adjacent people. There are plenty of couples capitalizing on their partnerships, too. Some of these couples offer relationship advice by talking about their own experiences and struggles. So that brutal honesty and that communication really, I think, is what allows us the opportunity to express how we feel and then give each other the choice to decide whether or not this is something you really want to deal with or is this something we can really get past. Um, and sex. And sex. That helps you. I'm a very physical person. <laughs> I knew you were going to include that. I know you so I well. Do listen, if we're going to be honest, we're right. going to be honest. But a lot of them just seem like they want us to live vicariously through them. Hashtag couples goals. So we have the TikTokers, Instagrammers, the YouTubers, and the couples who, for the most part, give out decent, if not sometimes vapid, dating advice. And then there's the other side of this. The podcast bros. These are not just the guys who rant about cryptocurrency, although they often do that too. And not all podcast bros have actual podcasts. Some are on YouTube and some are on Instagram. And not all men who give out dating advice on podcasts fall into this category. And if you're not sure how to spot a podcast, bro, 
When you start hearing terms like alpha male, red pill, and high value man, you're probably in the right place. There's a few things that you can do now to kind of test chicks, test women, you know, to help you guys identify the good ones from the bad ones. My experience uh, in dating and coaching a lot of the guys that I've dealt with and reading through a lot of the comments on people that comment on my videos is there tend to be a lot of women that are um, either borderline or unstable. There are so many of these types of dating coaches that there is a TikTok trend actually mocking them where women talk about men the same way these men talk about women on their podcast. As males grow older, their natural hairline recedes and they lose their value. That's what drew me to you was my attract, like I was attracted to you. And with every hair that falls off, I'm less and less attracted to you. And if you start balding after we get married, which happens all too often, you know, it's like, if you're gonna let that happen, I don't know if I can stay around. You it's know? just a preference. It's just a preference. The lane of advice these men exist in isn't new. In fact, a lot of it gives pickup artist vibes. Remember that pickup artist show hosted by that weird dude in the weird hat? A man named Mystery took eight lovable losers. I'm petrified of trying to go up to a woman. And turn them into Casanovas. And just like the pickup artists, the advice these podcast bros give out are usually just tips on how to manipulate women and justify the manipulation. Just a few weeks ago, a clip from one of the more annoying podcasts in this space went viral when the host got shut down by IG model Brittany Runner. Men are trying to get sex. Women are trying to get resources, time, attention, whatever it is that they're looking for. And a lot of girls play the game better than guys. We talk about this openly on our podcast, and we're teaching guys how to not necessarily get finesse and get what they want out of girls, which a lot of the times is intimacy. So there's really a lot to unpack here because my first question to you is, what do you gain from telling girls that they're not special? How does that make you feel? I mean, I know, everything, talking, is, I know we, everything is a joke, but I'm asking you a real question. So how does that make you feel? Because if I say you're a bitch ass n that does something for me, right? One of the most infamous so-called experts in this space is Kevin Samuels. Future, the toxic rapper-in-chief, recently did a video with him for Valentine's Day. How much did you say you spent on women? Probably like, uh, let's see, around two, three. Two, three thousand? It's not so bad. No, uh, three million. Million? Yeah, like, every time I see a beautiful woman, I have to splurge, I have to spoil them. How romantic. Samuels popularized the term high-value men which seems to boil down to how much money a man has and the number of people who know said man has money. Number one, in order to be a high-value man, it starts with money. Again, like it or not, I didn't put the six-figure thing out there. It's been with us since the mid-'80s, and like it or not, that's where this whole thing starts. You can't be high-value and homeless. And he spends a lot of time on YouTube insulting women's looks and their dating standards. You don't tend to see higher-earning men with average-looking women, off-rip. If you do see them, they got them, they got their average-looking woman when they were both really young and he built his way up. And you're an average person. I mean, let's be real, you're not running Microsoft. You got, you had a pet grooming business. You've been making six figures for the last three years. Okay, but if I looked at you and I took all that off of you, all the eyelashes and all the hair, what do you look like under there? 
He calls it brutal honesty. A lot of other people call it misogynistic bullying. But there seems to be a lot of people who agree with him. Samuels has over 1 million followers on YouTube. That's the thing about democratized dating advice on the internet. Everyone can find their audience. So, we've taken you through a brief tour of the dating influencer landscape. And there's just one more stop to make. The qualified experts who use Instagram, TikTok, and podcasts to get their messages out there. I think of myself as the Walmart greeter of sex. That's Shan Boudram, host of the Lovers and Friends podcast. You might have also seen Shan on Netflix's Too Hot to Handle. Shan's a certified sexologist who tries to meet people where they are. What I want to do is be the approachable person at the department store that everybody knows to, that everybody has gone to at some point, that you're not embarrassed to go to. I'm the person at the front who says, what do you need? Where do you want to go? Do you want a shopping cart? But Shan didn't always have this discount store approach to sex. In fact, her desire to help people navigate their sex lives came from not being able to navigate her own when she was younger. I just had the shittiest teen sex life. I had ticked all the boxes. I had, I think I had seven partners by the age 17 or something like that, or maybe 19, I can't recall. But I had like multiple partners. I'd never had an orgasm with a partner. I'd never really felt connected to anybody. It became a duty thing for my body. I had been sexually assaulted in my teens. And it was just this thing that I had all this promise around because when I was very young, I was very interested in sex, just like some kids are interested in the piano. I was very interested in the human body, but I also went to a Catholic school and I have Caribbean parents. So that interest area obviously wasn't encouraged. And so what I learned through that is if I want to learn about sex, I have to do it through private mediums. Unlike now, when Shannon and I were teens, There weren't any TikToks, podcasts, or IG influencers to turn to to learn about sex and intimacy. I don't know if you recall the book, The Coldest Winter Ever, but that book and Fly Girl, Connie Briscoe's Big Girls Don't Cry, along with TV shows like Gossip Girl and, of course, online porn, all these fictional outlets became my quote-unquote education. And that just steered me down a very wrong path for me and ended me up with some really negative experiences. So when I turned 19, I was at this turning point of, Either my parents and the church was right, this is an area of your life that only leads to pain and suffering, or I've just been going about it the wrong way. So I gave myself the benefit of self-education and I got a library card and I read every possible book on sex. And I thought to myself, somebody should make this information just as accessible and as interesting as the coldest winter ever, you know, as Gossip Girl. And then I thought like, well, why can't that person be you? So it, it really came from a place of... Wanting someone like myself to do the work that I would have desperately needed. Shan and experts like her aren't the first people to use their platforms to promote sex positivity. Before the internet, there were radio and TV shows that answered real questions about intimacy. But for Shan, those shows always lacked something. I was never invested in the, like, Dear Abby advice space. And so that was never a way that I thought to learn, and it was never something that I was attracted to. Even, you know... Shows like Love Line, which have been around for a very long time, or Sue Johansson or Dr. Ruth, where they had these call-in shows. I was never really attracted to that format because I just wanted to see people and connect with them and, and feel more. And so those always felt very impartial and distant. And with sex is anything but that. So I, I wanted my sex education to kind of mirror what I liked most about sex. And so if I couldn't put a face to people or I couldn't follow their story, and I only got a little tidbit. I never really found that to be something I wanted to sink my teeth into. Shan decided to become that face, the personal connection people can relate to. And it gets pretty personal 
there's not a lot she keeps close to the vest. I can't think of one example of a thing I've kept private. I do know that I don't share while I'm in process. So if I'm currently going through something or there's a struggle in my life, you may not hear about it until months later, until I've done the work myself to understand it and then to be able to provide perspective. The way we interact on social media is personal. So it's hard to gain a following if people don't feel like they know you. And that's different from the sex and relationship experts we saw a few decades ago. Think about Dr. Ruth or Sue Johansson or any of the other relationship and sex advice columns we used to read. Rarely did they talk about their own experiences. Their perspective was all-knowing. They were the experts. But for Shan, that's just not realistic. Even though I do share, there's always this guilt. And I have seen it happen online where I share personal things about myself, you know, like struggles I've had with sex drive in my marriage, right? I talk about that and people are like, well, how can we take your advice when you're struggling too? And so those narratives in the back of your head that you're like, I have to kind of one, portray this perfect life so that I can uphold my expertise. But number two, you want to give people hope that at some point it becomes less of a burden because it can be really difficult when you're in the rough patches of these things. Like if you're at a low point in your intimate life, you want to look to see that somebody has it figured out. And that's just not realistic. You get better, you know what I mean? And you go through ebbs and flows. So yes, do I still have issues? Yes. Are they anywhere close to where I was when I didn't give myself the benefit of education? Absolutely not. So I hope people can still find inspiration in the imperfection. Jam's main hope is that sharing her experiences and expertise will inspire people to have more agency in their own sex lives. The goal in me starting my work was to empower each person to be their own expert that we have people who dedicate their life to understanding it should be very normal. And furthermore, everybody should. Kind of similar to how everybody knows how to cook to some degree. Many people should start to feel confident in their ability to provide for their bodies and their families and to nourish themselves and like what that looks like in the kitchen. So I wanted more people to become an expert and feel confident saying like, I'm good at sex because I know how to have sex with me. I'm good at relationships because I know how to be relating to me. I know how to love me. But Through that, I smiled because now we're in a space where a lot more people feel empowered to put themselves in an expert role. And sometimes we see how that doesn't play out in a positive way. And Shan had a conversation with one of those new experts that didn't exactly go well. I recently had this conversation with him. And what was so fascinating and also frustrating is we just have very different realities. So I found it very difficult to have a middle ground conversation because I was talking to Kevin and then he said, well, most women want to get married and stop working. Yes, that Kevin Samuels I told you about earlier. And I was like, oh, this, I know the opposite story. If anything, the story that I hear more is women who don't want to have a kid at at all because they don't want the disruption in the progress that they have made in another part of their life. And so, and I was sticky with this because I'm like, I do not want to discount the fact that there are some people in general who benefit more from the traditional lifestyle and actually enjoy kind of like the the patriarchal system that was put in place and the gender roles that were there. Like that's actually what their yum is. So I don't want to yuck somebody's yum, but it gets confusing when they speak about it as if this is either the, the superior way or it is the normal way or the more popular way. I think that's where I kind of get stuck in the mud there. Shan doesn't seem to have a problem with folks getting their dating advice from TikToks or YouTube, or that an increasing number of people think they're qualified to give that advice. She thinks the problem with this new crop of dating experts is what they focus on talking about. 
I have a book called The Game of Desire where it was basically for women to be like, get on your shit. Is dating hard? Absolutely. Historically, has it probably been harder now than it ever has been? Yes. And here's the statistical proof to back that up. And I did this in two pages. Like there was two pages on if you are feeling exhausted by dating and if you feel that there is difficulties ahead of you and that the mountain is very high to climb, you're not wrong. You're not alone. Here is the proof to affirm those feelings. But now you have a choice. Either you're going to be like, great, I don't have to do anything. Or you're going to say, what is in my power to do to change my circumstances? How do I play the game? So I'm one of the few people who does end up getting what they want in it. And then hopefully if a lot of people do that, more people, because all of us, you know, most people want to connect. It's just very difficult right now. Nonetheless, I spent two pages on it and then spent the rest of the book talking about you. Like, what do you do? How do you show up? How do you make meaningful changes in your life? I find that now the conversation is flipped where it's like 300 pages, so to speak, or 300 podcasts on complaining and outlining why things are bad. And then a footnote of like, here's how you personally can be a better person or be the change you wish to see in the market. So that's where I'm like, is it good to hear experiences and hear gripes and outline what we think is wrong right now? Sure. How much time do I got to spend on that? Right? Like a lot of people find relief in Kevin Samuel's content because they're hearing their frustrations voiced back to them. And it's it's good for a second, right? But then once you get that comfort that like you're not alone and you're not crazy, like what do you do with that? Do you continue to keep going back for more and more and then more affirmations to get angrier and angrier? And then what does that lead any of us? It just makes the, the market even shittier. So that's just where I'm at. Shan, if she thinks there's any benefit to her giving out relationship advice on a podcast or Instagram feed rather than in a book or advice column. You get to be in constant dialogue and you get to correct yourself somewhat in real time. And that's a really beautiful thing. Listening to individual stories, which really color that information and really should provide context for how you share that with people, like that balance is, is never going to end. I used to talk about porn, especially because I had a very negative experience with porn. Like it was a negative thing. I would talk about it like it was a multi-billion dollar industry for men and it was not for women and that women were not included in it. And as furthermore, that women aren't interested in porn because we're not as turned on by the visual. And that would be a part of my rhetoric. I would say people should learn about porn the same way they learn about WWE wrestling. It's not real. It's not for educational purposes. And if you try to do things you see in porn in real life, you're gonna end up getting your ass kicked. I think now that I've talked to much more sex workers, and also ethical porn has now been introduced as a more of a mainstream option for people. I'm now seeing porn in a very different light and also acknowledging that a lot of women, people with vulvas, are drawn to erotic content, especially if they see themselves or see things that they like or would want done to them depicted on screen. So my perspective, I think, is also shifting as I learn more and as I listen more. honest, I don't know what to make of this wide world of dating advice influencers. Maybe it's not great that anyone with a phone can record a video, and if enough people watch it, they're an expert. In preparation for this episode, I watched a lot of bad dating advice from people who don't even sound like they should be dating, let alone giving out advice on how to do it. I'm sure in 30 years, the kids will pull up those TikToks and make a big point about how Gen Zers and Millennials are completely antiquated. 
But in my research, I also saw a lot of perspectives I wish I'd heard when I started dating. Perspectives that were more relatable and frankly validated my experience. So much of the dating advice industry is built on traditional mainstream ideas about courtship and partnership, and that leaves a lot of people out. So yes, dating according to influencers is messy, but at least we get to participate in the mess together. Hey listeners, February is one of my favorite months, and it's obviously not because of Valentine's Day or the weather. It's because it's a time to celebrate Black history and culture. And what a better way to celebrate than highlighting some amazing Black authors with someone who's all about Black literature. Recently, I spoke with Glory Edom, the founder of Well-Read Black Girl, about her new podcast, The Well-Read Black Girl podcast is just this wonderful world of literary icons. We pay homage to the literary legacies of women that I cherish, like Toni Morrison and Maya Angelou. But we also talk to contemporary writers that are just changing the world, women like Britt Bennett and Ziba Blay. We get to know them beyond the page and talk to them about just why they started writing and how they continue to improve their craft. It's a fun, fun space where books and art and everything collide. Here are some book recommendations Glory says should definitely be on your reading list this Black History Month. First up, one of my favorites, The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. I think Toni Morrison was the first author that really made me love literature as I was sort of maturing into a teenager, young adult. What's the first Toni Morrison book you read? Okay, girl, it it was all, all the bluest eye. It is a classic, and it looks at the life of a young girl named Bacola Breedlove. And as a young girl, she prays every day for beauty and for blue eyes, but we know that's not her reality. And it really brings us into her interior life and follows this beautiful story of a young girl becoming. It was the first book that I read that had a Black girl protagonist, and I felt like I really understood her, even though our experiences weren't similar, just the the love and the longing was there. And I really empathized with her, and I wanted to understand how I could save her in a way. And I've read this book so many times, and each time there's like a new revelation, and I understand something more about myself. So it was the first book that I fully, fully understood like what Black girlhood meant. I think Sula and Song of Solomon are like my favorite books of all time. So Bluest Eye is like a great introduction to her work. Yeah, I mean, for me, Bluest Eye was definitely, Toni Morrison set the precedent for every book I've read since I was, what, 13, 14 years old. And I think Morrison is just so phenomenal. There's like no other author like her in the world. Glory's second book pick is Star Child by Ibiza Boy. It is a beautiful, lyrical essay in prose about the life of Octavia Butler. It's actually a YA book, but I recommend it for every reader because it shows just the beauty of Octavia Butler's life in poetry and prose, and it has incredible illustrations and pictures inside, and I just think it's a, just an uplifting and beautiful book to read. Tell me a little bit about Octavia Butler. Why did you uh, choose a book that talks about her life? Well, I think there's so much to be said about 
little Black girls with huge imaginations that have a drive to succeed. And as we know now, Octavia Butler was this is this incredible science fiction writer that everyone knows about. But what is it to look at her life as a young girl and explore her curiosity and the things that she was afraid of or trying to discover? And I think it's so important to take a step back and look at our icons and who they were as children and how they became the people they became in the public eye. And what's your favorite Octavia Butler book? Oh, it's a tie between Kindred and Parable of the Sower. The Parable series is amazing. Incredible, girl. Like a lot of books by great authors, one of Octavia Butler's works, Kindred, is heading to the small screen. And I asked Lori how she feels about it. Did you see FX is going to do Kindred as a show? You know what? I wasn't sure because... I feel like every few years there's a, like this like bubbling of something ha- is happening with Octavia Butler's estate, but I wasn't sure if it was real yet. So that's like a real thing happening. The last I looked, I think the Kendrick thing, Kendrick thing is really happening. Um, I'm scared. Like I'm like I wanted to be so good, but I'm like oh, there's so many ways this could not be. I know, I know, and especially when I think for so long, so many of us have just been dedicated to the book. Like we know how it lives in our imagination. So to see it on screen, it could go good or it could be like terribly wrong. So we're going to pray for like goodness to come on screen, the cinematography for it to be popping and like everything looks right. You know, <laughs> like yes. we just need that for her just to honor her legacy. We need it to be right. Tell me another book you're recommending for Black History Month. The other book I'm recommending for Black History Month is Tarana Burke's Unbound. Her memoir really follows her journey as an activist and the amplification of the Me Too movement and how that changed her life and how she's been able to help so many marginalized people in the community. It's a book that I just found so immersing. Like I like once I started reading it, I couldn't put it down. It's just like page after page. Like you hear Toronto's voice and you really understand her passion behind her activism. And it also offers you a call to action, like what you can do in your own life to make change and help other people. So you gave us a great fiction book, a great biography, it seems, and a great nonfiction book. So three great choices to read this month. So every week on your podcast, you talk about books like this and a lot more. Tell our listeners how they can find you. So you can listen to the Well-Read Black Girl podcast every Tuesday, and they're available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe and be part of the Well-Read Black Girl family. Thank you so much for talking to me. Yeah, girl, anytime. That's it for us today. I'm Bridget Armstrong, host and senior producer of the show, and I work with an amazing team to make it happen. Alicia Key is the show's producer. Andrew Calloway is our senior engineer. Graylin Brashear is the senior director of audio. Big thanks to Tinks and Shambu Dram for talking to us this week. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode. And in the meantime, be sure to rate, subscribe, and tell a friend.